gentlemen. It's Durham Freshers Week. Calling all Durham Uni Freshers. Welcome to Durham. You're right, guys. I'm Joseph, and I'm the outreach coordinator for Durham CU this year. Hey, I'm Tim, and I'm Prez this year. And I'm Hannah, and I'm the vice Prez. And we're here to chat to you about CU, what we do, who we are, how you can get involved, and hopefully we'll answer uh, some of your burning questions along the way. And we're also going to give you guys an idea of what kind of events we usually put on, as well as a sneak peek of our brand spanking new podcast, Jesus Unfiltered. Basically, Durham CU exists to give every student at the uni the opportunity to hear about Jesus and the unconditional love he has to offer each one of us and to give them the time and space to engage with claims made by the Bible and the wider Christian faith. Durham CU has a committee of nine people, including myself, Tim and Joseph, and we help to run the CU with help from our 200 members, who all come from a variety of different places, backgrounds and church contexts. So we're a society that wants to welcome all different kinds of people, whoever you are and wherever you are from. We are an intercollegiate society, which means that we usually meet both centrally and in college groups each week. Central meetings are a place where we come together as a big group to spend time worshiping, praying, and being equipped to tell other people about Jesus by some awesome speakers. Whilst college to you usually consists of a Bible study and time to get to know other people in your college. Obviously, that looks a bit different at the moment. Central continues, but fortnightly on Zoom, and it's still a place where we worship and hear from some great speakers. But College CU looks a little bit different this year. Within College CUs, we are launching impact groups. Impact groups are small groups of three to eight people who will be meeting online initially, but hopefully in person once restrictions are lifted. They'll study the Bible, pray together and support one another. And they're small for a reason, in order to allow people to really get to know each other and to make genuine friendships. To get involved with Central, check out the Durham CU Instagram or Facebook page. And for impact groups, head over to your college CU's Instagram page for more information. We're really excited about these impact groups and we can't wait for you to get involved. But that's not all we do. Uh, There's so much more you can get yourselves involved in. Uh, We have a number of outreach schemes that aim to reach out to as many members of Durham's student community in as many situations as possible. Whether you're a bookworm or a party goer, there's definitely going to be something for you. These include street outreach and club mission, where we chat to people on the streets day and night, check their okay, offer them a biscuit or a coffee uh, and help them home if they need. A big question where we give people the opportunity to hear the answers to some of life's big questions. Uh, it's in the name uh, from a specialist speaker and text the toasty where people can text in a question about faith and they get their answer delivered to their door with a toasty of their choice unfortunately most of these can't run at the moment although big question runs every fortnight on facebook check out the uh, respective facebook pages for more details and look out for our other outreach events when restrictions are eased One of the biggest questions we and our members get asked is whether you have to be a Christian to get involved in CU and come to our events. The answer is a big no. CU is open to both Christians and non-Christians alike, and we really want to create as welcoming an atmosphere as possible at all of our events and gatherings for people to come, make friends, and experience the love that Jesus has for them. We are a society that exists for our non-members. 
So please come along either on Zoom or in person at some point later this year to any of our events. However, enough about what we usually do and what you can look out for in the future. Time for some stuff that you can actually get involved in right here, right now. First is CU families. If you are a Christian or a non-Christian fresher and you want to get to know someone in the CU who does a similar subject to you so they can support you in your first couple of terms in Durham, then sign up to CU families. The link is in the bio of our Instagram page. Second is something really exciting. We're launching a podcast. It's called Jesus Unfiltered, Making Sense of Christianity in the Modern World. and will be hosted by me and second year theology student Judith Holmes. Each episode will focus on a particular 21st century issue. This season has episodes on science, politics, identity, the environment, student culture, racial injustice and free will. And we'll be exploring and chatting about how those issues relate to faith in Jesus with a number of massive speakers, including Chris Kandaya, Miriam Swanson, David Wilkinson and excitingly, former Liberal Democrat leader Tim Farron. The first episode is out now, Faith in Student Culture with Miriam Swanson, where we chat about how faith in Jesus can radically alter the way students face the challenges of university life, social media and consumerism. It's available on Spotify, Google, Apple and more, and new episodes are going to be released every Monday. For more information, check out the Jesus Unfiltered Facebook page and the Dick You Podcast Twitter page. Give us a listen on Apple and Spotify and tell us what you think. And just for you, Purple Radio, to give you a little sneak peek about what we've got in store for this season, here's a snippet of our unreleased episode, Faith and Politics. Is there room for God's unconditional love in the UK's corridors of power? With Tim Farron coming out on the 5th of October. You're right, guys. Welcome to Jesus Unfiltered, Durham CU's new podcast about how we make sense of Christianity in the modern world. I'm Joseph Knight, a third year studying history at Durham. And I'm Judith Holmes, a second year theology student. In this podcast, we want to chat about 21st century issues in a Christian context, have a look at what the Bible has to say about them, and join in with some important conversations. Today, we'll be looking at whether there's room for the gospel in the United Kingdom's corridors of power. And excitingly, we're here with former Liberal Democrat leader and MP for Westmoreland and Ronsdale, Tim Farrell modern liberal democracy, you don't need to be a Christian to support it, but it's unthinkable in its current form, in all its best forms, without the gospel underpinning it. Hi Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to hear from you. Um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Oh my, well I'm, I'm Tim, I am sadly 50, um, and I live in Millthorpe, which is just, uh, just outside the Lake District in my constituency, which to those of you uh, for whom that means nothing, is basically the southern end of the Lake District, Kendall, and the western bit of the Yorkshire Dales. So it's very lovely and um, and very big. And uh, I'm speaking to you from my office in London from um, what feels a bit like the Marie Celeste, because once upon a time I had staff here, but they are now working very productively from home. And they've taught me to do really radical things like actually use the printer myself, uh, which has been quite laborious but I've done it so yeah I'm married to Rosie we have four kids in between the ages of 14 and 33 um, and uh, I can tell you lots more about myself but maybe that would be um, for later questions I am a Liberal Democrat I joined the Liberals when I was 16 uh, at sixth form in Lancashire I went to university just up the road from you guys at Newcastle 
between 88 and 92, I was president of the union. Uh, between 91 and 92, I've uh, been an MP since 2005. I'm a Christian. Um, more about that in a moment, I imagine. And I am also a long-suffering, although occasionally elated, Blackburn Rover supporter. Yeah, so um, some would say um, you being a politician, but also a Christian, um, that you would need to keep faith and politics apart. Um, the, the idea that you keep the religious and the secular sphere um, mm. separate. Um, but obviously, there are also lots of Christians in Parliament, you being one of them. And, you know, there are several organisations, Christians in politics, Christians in Parliament, um, that try and channel um, the muse of Christianity into uh, politics. Um, how would you respond to the idea that faith and politics should be kept separate? Well, I think it's not logical, for one thing. You wouldn't expect uh, a Marxist to leave their worldview at the door um, before they enter the House of Commons, for example, or any debate, or any other person with any other worldview. So why should a worldview that we label religious um, be somehow uh, special? I think that's not true. I think the, the, the danger is that we've slipped into um, a thinking where we assume that secularism is, is neutral uh, and people who have a faith are kind of kind of tolerable but eccentric um, and I don't think that is intellectually credible but I think it's ridiculous there is no such thing as neutrality um, every viewpoint every worldview is partial uh, as a liberal um, I think it's right to fight for uh, plurality if you like in the public square um, and a measure of a real liberal is to defend the rights uh, of expression, especially to those people who you actually most disagree with. Any old fascist can stick up from their own tribe. Um, it takes a liberal to actually fight the core of somebody else's. Um, so no, I, I think it is, it is a nonsense to say that people of faith um, should have to kind of somehow wear a health warning before they, uh, they, open, they open their mouths in the public square. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And, and the... So with, with the uh, idea that no one is really neutral, um, I'm assuming your, your faith impacts the way that you vote in Parliament. Um, you know, how, how does that work on certain issues? Well, that's a really good question. Of, co of course it does. Um, I think that the first thing to say that there are Christians in every political tribe. So I think different political opinions are entirely legitimate within um, you know, biblical Christianity. Uh, and these are different ways of ordering society whilst we're here and seeking to do good in the public space and to look after the welfare of the place in which you have been placed. So I think that's, that those things are important. There is a misconception by some um, that uh, your faith influencing your politics means that you kind of take an edict from a foreign power. Um, you know, you, so I'm, I'm told by the Bible to do X and that overrides reason or it overrides um, what your party would say and what have you. Um, and the point is, Christianity is reasonable. <laughs> um, and I choose to follow Jesus Christ because I believe he's exactly who he says he is. Um, I think the intellectual argument for um, accepting uh, Christ is immense. I will say this, though, and this is, I think, perhaps to just push back against those who think, oh, well, therefore, the Bible says X is wrong, then there you will vote to make it illegal. Um, 
I don't think there's any value at all. In fact, I think it's counterproductive to make people who are not Christians live as though they were. There's no value in that at all. Um, uh, Edmund Burke once said something to the effect of, all the laws against the godless have not saved one single soul. And that is several hundred years old, um, and it's spot on. Um, the gospel gives us no, uh, the scripture doesn't give us any um, motivation to do that. My experience is that it's actually totally counterproductive. And it also goes against some of our belief in the dignity of every single human being. Um, in, 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 obedience follows love for Christ and faith in Christ. Um, it isn't something that you're forced to do. Uh, and so, um, yes, um, my faith will influence how I vote and how I think about the world. Um, but part of my faith is understanding the complete dignity of every other human being, my own complete sinfulness and fallenness, and my and the um, command for me to judge no one else, no one else, or else I will also be judged. So, as Christians, if we are to believe that God is sovereign and has ultimate authority, um, then why is there a need for having and respecting um, our earthly governments? Well, first of all, we're told to do that, to render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's and to respect the government of the day. Now, of course, there are limits to that. Um, when governments in a very express and uh, egregious way uh, go against, you know, obvious, obvious laws of uh, decency. And, uh, and so I think, um, but by and large, you know, our job is to engage in the public sphere. I think there's a really, I've thought about this a lot, really, because, you know, um, during the kind of most... Uh, fractious days of Brexit, brackets, you know, it's back upon us now. Uh, Brexit isn't done. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but now, you know, we have COVID as well. The, the potential for Christians to feel, well, everybody, but particularly Christians to think, my goodness me, everything about the public realm, indeed everything about life on Earth is so appalling. We just discovered today that there's potentially life on Venus, so that's nice and scary. It's just getting more excited by the second. Um, Aliens that would eat sulfuric acid. So come on, you know, 2020, what more have you got? Um, but I think the point I'm making, to be serious, is that we can panic and think this is all just too much. Um, uh, or secondly, we can end up being kind of hermits and trying to protect ourselves um, from the world. And I think what I want to say two things to encourage Christians as to how we should think about current affairs and politics in the world at the moment. Um, the first thing is... And I don't mean to be flippant, but don't panic. God wins. You know, you are, if you're pulling Jesus Christ, you're winning. You're going to win. Now, you know, mostly speaking, it's a bad thing to read to the end of a book first. Um, but honestly, read to the end of Revelation. It ends really well. Um, do not panic. You're on the winning side. Whatever it feels like, you're on the winning side. Second thing, that does not give you an excuse to be a kind of hermit and think, well, I'll dig into the rock until, you know, uh, either I pass away or Christ returns. That is that's not what we're encouraged to do. We are encouraged to seek the welfare of the city in which we have been placed. And I think Jesus models an involvement in the world in which we live. Uh, in particular, and uh, there's lots of examples, but I am deeply personally moved by, um, as I'm sure I'm not the only one, um, the account of Jesus as he approaches the tomb of his of his friend Lazarus. Um, so, I'm, my assumption is that Jesus, being God Himself, um, knows he's about to raise Lazarus in a few minutes' time. He is deeply moved, and I think that I am told by people who know their um, their, their 
their Bible translations and their New Testament Greek far better than me. Bracket, I don't know it at all. Um, the, the translations we get about Jesus weeping and Jesus, Jesus twice being told, we're told he's deeply moved, they're rubbish, weak translations. That actually, the translation is of a, a guttural sound reminiscent of that of a wild, wounded animal. And so this rage Christ has um, against more than his grief, but it's more than grief, as the hostility towards death. I'm delighted my saviour feels like that about the biggest enemy we face. And I think that whilst he may well, I'm sure he did know what was about to come and it was glorious and it was going to end well. It didn't stop him entering in. It didn't stop him entering in, not as a kind of fake sort of, you know, visiting, but fully immersed. And that's what we should do. We should get our hands dirty and our hearts broken, serving in the place where God has put us. So I became a Christian at 18. I was brought up in a, a very loving home, but I was not raised to be a Christian. In fact, I was raised to be really quite a sceptic, um, to be very sceptical of anybody who took anything too seriously. Um, and, uh, and I was quite cross at Christianity for various reasons. Um, I was at sixth form college. Uh, there was what I call a guy called Jack, who was the college Christian. I liked him. But I thought his faith was, he wasn't the only Christian in the college, but he, he used to get uh, written off as that. So there was a, he, was, he once had a pint of beer at a college do, and the front um, page of the college magazine um, uh, read, uh, with a, read a picture of him with this pint. It just said, Jack X, it's a sin. <laughs> Poor lad. 4,000 people read that. Um, you know, and he, you know it's, it, it, I mean, it was, it was light hearted, but it was this sense of, you know, you've got to live a particular way, haven't you, or if you're a Christian. And so I, I just thought Christianity was weird, uh, restrictive, and probably not true. It was. Um, and so putting a lawful long story short, um, I, um, my mum got a job teaching in Singapore. Um, um, uh, sort of deployed what's the word um, uh, seconded, that's the word <laughs> from what was then Preston Poly now the University of Central Lancashire to teach in this place in Singapore and I ended up in a room in the house we um, rented that belonged to previous tenants who were or had been lived in by people who were Christians who previously worked for the college um, I ended up reading their books um, and you probably call them apologetics and stuff which looked at um, evidences for Christianity. And I, you know, I went, I came to Singapore um, for the five weeks I was there. Only the same time I'd ever been abroad. Um, still the furthest I've ever been. And it was, um, you know, I was a sceptic, you know, liberal Guardian reader. Um, the last person you'd imagine would fall for this nonsense. Um, and in the early hours of one morning. It just struck me with enormous physical force. Oh, flip, it's true. And if it's true, it's the most epic and important thing on the planet, and everything else you believe to be true is just blown out of the water. Out of the water. Um, and um, so it, yeah, and so it, it, it's, it's hard. And I think that the most important thing I would say, learning from the mistakes I made, is um, first of all, uh, if Christianity is true, do something about it. If you're someone who's not sure, um, it's more important than anything else you're, you know, ever going to encounter. So check it out. Do yourself a favour. Um, 
And if you decide that you're going to follow Jesus, um, you know, you'll, you'll mess up. I did. You know, everybody does. Um, but do, do understand the real value of putting down Christian roots. I mean, I didn't meet another Christian until two months after I'd become one. Um, and, you know, there were times when I was at university where I just thought I'll do the easy thing rather than what I know to be right. And, uh, you know, that happens at all. But I just want to encourage you, the thing that will um, make your life as a Christian hardest is spending less time with other Christians. The thing that will make your life as a Christian more fruitful, I won't say easier, but you will find it less challenging, um, is bedding in with a good Christian friend, finding a good church, and putting God as the centre of your life, not as some satellite around you. And um, uh, so, I mean, the rest of it's for another day. But um, if it's true, it's the most important thing on in your life ever. Do something about it. And if that's so, despite all the gravitational pull to do and think and be everything else at university, um, and I'm not saying don't enjoy yourself, but I am saying um, put God at the centre. And that means building Christian friendships and doing it. That harks back to C.S. Lewis, doesn't it? Saying that. Um... You know, if, if Jesus died, it changes everything. If Jesus didn't, then it doesn't change anything. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't, you don't have to be overly kind of um, iconoclastic and all that kind of thing, but what's the point in churches if there's, the gospel's not true, you know? Makes it into affordable housing or something, you know? Curry houses, whatever. You know, it's, I, I mean, I, I'm genuinely of the view that there is, the more I look at it and more I think about it, it's either a hoax or it's without even remote close competition, the most important um, news in the history of the world. And there isn't a middle way. You know, it's, it's not just interesting. If you look at how insistent and specific, you know, these are written that you might believe, uh, written as history, written as persuasive history, it's either a tissue of well-organized lies or it's true. That it's a bit of a fable, it doesn't wash. Not with any study, it doesn't. It might you know, that that you might be conning yourself and making yourself feel better about not committing by thinking, nah, we can't be sure. I'm sorry. You get into the archaeology of this. You get into the textual criticism of the New Testament documents. I'm sorry. You've only two choices. It's a deliberate hoax or it's true. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Jesus Unfiltered. We've been so inspired by what Tim shared today and we hope you have too. Yeah, come back next week where we'll be talking to astrophysicist and theologian David Wilkinson to answer the question, have modern day scientific discoveries rendered faith in Jesus obsolete? If you enjoyed that, then please do get involved. We're really excited about what's happening this term. Hit us up on our social media pages and do say hello. We'd love to hear from you and to welcome you to Durham. This is Purple Radio. Purple Radio.